This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Laura B. Young, the author of Remove Obstacles to Experience Unstoppable Feminine Power, How to Stop Betraying Yourself and Live a Life of Grace and Passion. Laura is a licensed marriage and family therapist, LMFT, and certified clinical hypnotherapist, CCH, a trained counselor and an author of several self-help books. She is devoted to helping people, especially women, in becoming more of what is possible for them. She draws from over 30 years of clinical experience. She established her private practice, Life Resource Center, in 1992. Over time, Laura has specialized in relationships, life transitions, grief resolution, stress management, and women's creativity groups. Her most recent book, Remove Obstacles to Experience Unstoppable Feminine Power addresses many ways that women betray themselves without knowing. Many obstacles that hold us back are hidden. In her book, Laura shows us not only how to find the hidden that keeps us stuck, but how to heal what is found. Meet Laura on laurabyoung.com. Here is the interview with Laura B. Young. In your own words, who is Laura B. Young? Oh, wow. What a question to start with. Uh, <laughs> I have I have played uh, on the stage of life, as Shakespeare mentions, you know, we have many roles and we're not our roles, but we play many roles of, uh, you know, student of life, mother, grandmother, ex-wife, um, psychotherapist, um, spiritual seeker, um, still evolving. I'm, you know, I'm an older woman now and still excited about life and being curious about it. And I know um, who I am today is different than who I was before the beginning of this year. I've learned a lot in 2020, even though, you know, it's had its challenges. I have been really working at getting to a different level of peace about a lot of things that would normally have irritated me before this year. So still evolving, really. And uh, thank you for asking. I'll think about it more after we finish. Yeah, you mentioned spiritual seeker. So I guess the question that comes to mind is what were you or are you seeking? in terms of spirituality? Well, that has changed too. The, the 
the God of my youth was a, I was raised um, by Roman Catholic nuns and in an orphanage and where you had no choice. You had to go to mass. You had to go to rosary. You had to go to benediction. And, and a lot of that had good, good foundation. But we were subject to a patriarchal God, you know. It, there was no mother, father, mother God in there. It was a patriarchal God. And I have laughed with um, some other recovering Catholics, as we call ourselves, that the God of our, our youth was, you know, was a, pee, a, a peeping Tom almost. It, the, what you got from the nuns was that wherever you go, you're being watched. You better be good. You better go to confession on on Friday and confess your sins. And, you know, we'd go and we'd make up sins. I was mean to my sister again this week, although that probably was not made up. But uh, then I had to realize this wasn't fitting with something inside of me because I have gradually over the years come to be closer to a mother father God and more of the of the holiness of the mother energy is in there and then I have taken that to be in, to to be a more personal relationship with God that I meet and I don't know what God it looks like or anything like that in terms of my vision for how he's I always knew what he looked like when I was a kid you know that bearded person and uh, but I take it into meditation I take into prayer I ask to be shown more of the bigger picture now that can be a wonderful tree that I lean against outside when the weather is nice. It can be flowers in my garden. It whatever lifts the spirit into a place of of kindness and love and light and it can be music. It can be um, different things, different times. But when it's kind of like the runner, you know, after the runner runs a certain um, distance, he or she's in the flow and it's not stressful anymore. It's just a flow. And that's what, when I know that I'm meeting more of a higher level of consciousness in and connecting more with the holy ones. And I, you know, I just say, you know, being Catholic, you know, we have many saints, so we can call on all kinds of people, depending on the situation we need help in. So I still, I still connect connect with the saints, and so I don't know if that answers your question because I'm, I'm thinking it out as I'm talking, and I realize the spiritual, the religious has sort of gone, taken a back seat for it to become more. And now it's more of a spiritual connection that I know I can feel that I'm in sometimes and sometimes yeah. not so much, you know. I love how you connected this spiritual, let's say, manifestation, personal connection to whatever we call uh, the divine. You speak of flow and inner peace. That really resonates with me too. 
So before we talk about, and we'll talk very soon, actually, about some of the topics in your book, Remove Obstacles to Experience Unstoppable Feminine Power, How to Stop Betraying Yourself and Live a Life of Grace and Passion. So before that, let me ask you this question, Laura. What is to be successful to you these days? Oh, it's different um, every decade. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's di- yeah, it, it's certainly not about cr- cruise or... Uh, I think success would be now for me. My children are grown. Um, and uh, I'm in love with my grandson who is in graduate school now. And that was successful to have that kind of love and... Uh, and still, but on my personal journey, it's about having enough courage to step up on the stage of life and share what I know before I go. And really, uh, I've 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 come through a lot of treatment myself. I've worked over thirty years as a psychotherapist. I have helped in my fashion, to the extent I can, thousands of people, particularly women. Even though I'm a marriage and family therapist, quite often the joy doesn't necessarily come in the marriage and family work because quite often when marriages get to me, um, they're on their last, you know, stop before divorce or calling a lawyer. So there's not so much uh, um, upliftment in that. So mine is to share, is to help women in my own little ways, it would be successful if in my own little way, I could help women, more women, reach more women to really appreciate and value who they are and to come out from under the 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 ways that have held them back internally and externally. It's kind of like we've done quite a bit of work externally. I mean, it started in the 60s or it started 100 years ago when I saw those beloved suffragists marching, you know what I mean? And and in the 60s, we we got some of the inequalities uh, met, but it kind of went about... We had to do something drastic like bra burning to get attention. Yeah. We we would never have gotten that if we had just sat around and asked, you know, right, without so doing something drastic. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and we kind of went about 180 degrees and then sometimes settled back into believing it was taken care of. And you know how sly and slippery inequality can be for women, for others, all levels of inequality. And so that's my little piece. There's a friar, um, a brother at a, at a monastery, and he, someone's, he works in the kitchen, and someone says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm making pancakes for God. <laughs> and, and I feel like that's, I'm wanting to do my little bit before I go to help women just stand up and be counted. You know, that's, that would be success. In your book, you say women have the power of their feelings, their wisdom, intuition, and emotional intelligence to name a sum of the dynamic ways women create success. 
I love that. So my next question is about the feminine power. Talk to me about that. What is feminine power? Well, it's in some ways, I might need to speak about what it's not. I mean, uh, we have been we have been conditioned to believe success is pretty much what counts as success in in the world is the male template, which is sort of linear, logical. Uh, we needed uh, the male template. They've done wonderful things all over the world. And, and, but there is a divisiveness in there. There's a competition in there. And there is a, a sense of pride because many men, through their own conditioning too, I mean, they, we're not alone in this problem but right now we're just focusing on ours for sure we need to do that but men were were conditioned that success meant being divisive meant being kind of like the Marlboro man and be independent and be linear and be if you need to, to be um, um, aggressive be aggressive that's what it then what happened was women, didn't have a feminine template. It's it's happening. It's emerging. It's it's happening as we speak. So women tried to fit into this template that was passed down to them, that equated success, and uh, it didn't work too well for us. But then women felt like something was wrong with them, as we tend to do because they weren't successful in the in the way men were, you know, the glass ceiling was really shattered by a woman. And women uh, then tried to try to do it harder, to try to maybe if I do it more or work harder, I'll be successful. And what they were doing was against their essence or they were betraying themselves. They didn't know because that's all that's out there, but women are by nature uh, willing to be beginners, willing, usually more curious, usually less pride. And William, I mean, and women are community builders. And instead of divisiveness and the Marlboro, um, you know, unique approach, women are learning to also trust other women and to develop community. And when women trust other women, there's amazing power. It doesn't mean they don't have some of the male attributes as as we all do. I mean, we could get up off the couch if we didn't have a nice combination of both. <laughs> it's, you know, it's just that it gets... If it gets extreme on either end of the spectrum, it's out of balance. And what women, uh, one of the reasons women have been conditioned over time not to trust other women. And that goes back to the patriarchal scarcity to belief where women were kind of owned by, you know, cent- you know ancestral uh, not that many decades ago, owned by uh, their partners in 
to to not have any power. I mean, how, did we did did they have money conversations? Do they have which schools? You know, women had were running the household, but they didn't have power. And then they uh, to make money decisions and to make buy big buying decisions. And it's kind of like I have women say to me these days, "Oh, you can." We can set any time for my appointment. I don't work. Please. This is a woman running, you know, a household of children, a the social calendar, the the husband's other properties. I don't work. She's not valuing her work because she's not bringing in a check at the end of the week. And so that was passed down to us too. And it's like, there's a scarcity of men. So be careful. Don't get too cozy with another woman or other women because they may take your man. I mean, it's so sly and divisive. And we think, oh no, that's not there today. That's not there today. Some vestiges of it are still there. So what's really good is women are starting to see each other in the fullness of who they are and what they are contributing and their courage and their and their beauty, even if it's not, you know, a cheerleader model, seeing beauty in themselves and I, you know, work to help people, women love themselves. Sometimes that's a bit of a journey because if they did fit into a certain mold, they they have, you know, dis, dis, disregarded themselves. Anyway, women's power will have some of the the men's energy taking action when a woman gets determined when she turns her attention on something and then has an intention to do something about an issue and then gets determined and then she follows through. Let me tell you, that's a force to deal with. And that's also, in order to do that, you have to have male attributes of of setting goals, following through and having some a plan, but women's power incorporates that gift and flourishes it and opens it up in a in a way where community is included, not divided, not us against them kind of thing. A question for you. I think we spoke about this briefly off record the difference between force and power. I notice that even a lot of times I hesitate to use the word power, and I see a lot of women doing that. Yeah. Is that because we're confusing power with force and control? Yes, yes, because that's the only template, you know, that had any had any uh, power around us as we were, no matter what, you know, you're a lot younger woman and I'm a lot older woman, but in between, there have been several, several generations who were still raised with that template. And uh, um, when I was, I asked a colleague of mine to, um, and, and, and if I had my time back, I would have changed the title, not to let leave out the word power, but it's, 
it's too long. Anyway, that's, you know, how you're never finished. But I asked her to look at the title and she had to, no, she, I wanted her to review a couple of the first chapters and she couldn't get past, <laughs> she couldn't get past the word power. Right. She spent, she spent days finding synonyms for me to use instead of the word power, because she said, that is such a turnoff. That's just going to turn women off. They won't read it. And I, I saw her point because from where women come from, power means control. Power means aggression. Power means if it doesn't work, use a bigger hammer. Power means if it doesn't work, we'll take out the heavy, heavy artillery. So, but really, really true power, what we're talking about with the heavy artillery and with the aggression and the bigger hammer, Valeria, is weak. It's weak. It's weak. When, when a woman stands in her power, and we've all had these moments, even those of us who have had to work through submissive issues, which is, we're work in progress. None of us are ever done, ever. But uh, we, um, to stand in our power is a bit like the, the sentence I mentioned, when we decide this far and no further. Remember the mothers against mad? Remember, remember some time in your life where someone was pushing you and we've all had a, a moment, even, in, even if it surprised us where it came from, where we say no more, this is it. And we draw the line. And when you do that, if you do it without aggression, without anger, we can do it with rage too because sometimes we don't have enough power inside of us to do it without rage. Rage is really, as I talked about, a false power. But in the moment, it feels kind of good, you know. We kind of go there. But when you say, no, no more, I'm done, and... Uh, and you say it and you truly mean it and you decide whatever the consequences are, you're going to stick to your guns and you're going to follow through. That is a feeling of true power without divisiveness, without, well, there may be divisiveness as a result because we can't expect our loved ones or our relatives or our loved ones to support us in our change. They don't like our nose. They don't like it when we start changing and start saying, this is, you know, this is not a good day for me. I don't really want to do that or whatever. They don't support us. But when you have your draw your line in the sand and you feel it inside and you say, this is it. No more. That's power. It's not weak. It's not submissive. You know inside of you there's a bit of steel that you have ignited and is part of who you are. There's a lot more there. We just have to practice using it, you know, not to turn people off, but as a rule not to be too nice or, you know, kind of stepped over sometimes. 
I'm wondering when that happened for you, that moment when you found your power. <laughs> that would be a good story. <laughs> well, you know, I spent time in the orphanage, as I told you, and yeah. the way I survived in there, I was, uh, I'd be in the corner keeping out of the nun's way. We all kind of adopt ways of getting by in our environment. And when my... But there was five of us girls in there, and I was the oldest. And one sister was particularly willful and particularly uh, didn't care, didn't care about getting in trouble. And a couple of the nuns were particularly cruel. I mean, out of way out of proportion to the deed, way. And so when one of them, um, one in particular, would be mean, really cruel to my sister, I would come out of the corner raging. I didn't care if they threw me out. I didn't care. I came out and I went to Mother Superior to stop it right this minute. And I did get threatened with throw, being thrown out, etc. But, you know, where was I to go? Anyway, that is an example of false power. You see, I couldn't stand up for myself, but I could stand up for someone else, my sister. And then when it'd be over, I go back in the corner and I'd be exhausted. I already wore, you know, that's all I could do. I did my thing. And for me, um, which was interesting, leaving an orphanage uh, where all the rules were um that's just how we lived, rule-bound. I married an Air Force officer. Get this. It's like a second stage of rules, right? I wasn't apparently ready or free to marry someone who wasn't following rules. And then by virtue of being his wife and being um, using his Social Security number to do anything on base – and literally, you know, following the rules of the role of good house, housewife and officer's wife for social engagement, it was like I was repeating some of the same feelings. They were, you know, they looked different, different body, different roles, different. But the feeling inside was the same. Unfree, unfree. And so I think it came my moment. I mean, I said, you know, I have to go. I can't, I can't do this. If I stay here, I'll be an alcoholic. Because he was taking more drinks to get through the evenings, you know. And he said, well, where would you go? You've never had it so good. And I thought, you know, financially, uh, I mean, true. I never, you know, I, true. You know, for, compared to the orphanage, I had a lot of material comforts. But that's when I knew it, my soul was at stake. I had to. I had no plan. I had to go fast because they were moving him to another base, and I figured if I went and settled my um, proverbial suitcases down. I'm a slow mover. I'm a bit of a procrastinator. I mean, it'd be six years before I got miserable enough again. So I thought I have to go. And that I think was my moment. It was frightening. I cannot say I felt powerful. 
I know looking back, it was the best, healthiest thing I ever did. But there were moments when I did that, I was like literally paralyzed. Because I wanted to go to university at night. And he said, you can go as long as nothing changes around here. You can go. You know, the, I'll give you permission to go. As long as nothing, which meant, you know, three meals and and pressing his uniforms and attending to the social. And I knew um, I had to go and get I, – I, I signed everything away. Just I had to go because if I stayed or haggled or did anything uh, legally to try to get my education paid for or something – I probably would have given in. I wasn't strong enough at the time. I just got a few moments of courage, a few moments where I did something out of character, and it built on itself enough for me to leave and then go uh, to university at night on my own, you know? So, yeah, there was a moment or two, and that made all the difference in my life. Did you ever marry again? No, I did not. I got, I came, I came close, but I realized it was quickly, very soon after the divorce, which was a kind of an interesting thing because I ha hadn't gotten in treatment for myself <laughs> yet. And, yeah. and it was, it would have almost been like, you know how repetitive patterns that we do in our life that don't work. There's a tendency if we're not careful and get aware, we tend to repeat the patterns. Well, I was like uh, involved with another Air Force officer and who was about to be transferred to the Pentagon. Now, get this, how many more rules did I need before <laughs> right. I, someone, you know, just pinched me on the butt and said, wake up, wake up, right. you right. know, don't, back to, don't, don't go back to sleep. Mm -hmm. And that was fortunately, fortunately, I didn't do that. And then later, I, you know, I went to university and I went to university at night for years and years. And then I worked at mental health and then I raised two girls and I, of course, there were partnerships, relationships, but oh man, I when I nearly married that second time and then looking at it and looking at how many times in my practice, I see that quick second marriage kind of thing has a more much more difficult time to, to, to you know, I'm trying to make it work, you know. So some somebody up there plucked me out of like, you know how you're going through a red light and you don't know, all of a sudden somebody plucks you by the ear to stop in time. I felt like someone had just plucked me. I was going through a red light, you know, and so no. That happens a lot. I know women around me who have had very unpleasant and painful relationships and that was it for them. They never married again. They live alone. It is a choice. I personally like the idea of walking life together and working together somehow. This is what I believe in. I had very bad relationships, but then I still continue to not to look for, but I was open to it. That's what I wonder if some women who have been hurt, if they are able to be open, open the heart still. I, um, I have found 
for me, having been a late bloomer and having started my career later, that has been my gift. I know a lot of women, once they go through marriage that didn't work out or a couple of close calls that didn't work out, choose to to not remarry, choose to have relationships, but not remarry. And that was my choice. But what I feel really good was I did enough treatment to get through my anger and my um, uh, distrust of men. And, and so I feel really good. I mean, about that because you don't you don't want to it's not about him i mean to to blame i mean there's enough blame to go around so you know i mean i couldn't have you know if i'd been stronger i we couldn't have connected anyway you know what i mean we i would have connected with someone else so we were both wounded we just you know so i got through that and when once you get through that then you're free to see more clearly what do I want in my life? And quite often, I find women spend more time planning their next vacation or their Christmas dinner than they do getting really, really clear about who, what qualities they want in their partners or husbands, you know? And it's like, it's, and I saw an ad where this young woman was saying, it seemed like an egalitarian ad for young people, nice, easy to meet, and it showed people just mingling and having a good time. And at the end of the ad, you know, this woman comes out and says, I'm ready for a good man. Please come find me. And I was astonished. This was in 2018. That come come find me you know like she has waiting to be chosen in wispy um i'm surprised young people let that go on as long as it did on the you know on tv it was there you know every day for a while and it's like that was a young woman of probably 21 or so and she's saying come find me i'm ready for a good man now, she may have not really examined who do I want in a man, what qualities are really important for me to go down my path with, um, who do I, you know, who am I ready to choose, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing is, seems, yeah, seems to be still on the cusp, really. Some women are opening and knowing their worthiness to choose if they want to. That's powerful. Am I ready to choose? That's a great question. Yeah. And then what do I, what do I have to have in someone that I'm choosing? You know, a kind heart, a good sense of humor, a play, a, someone who's resilient during the hard times, someone who will get up with the babies when we have children and let me sleep occasionally. I mean, what what is it I want in this person that I'm going to be with day in, day night, you know, night and day? What do you think or feel is the purpose of the human experience? Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> I well, I, I do think I do think we're here to raise our level of consciousness and we can only do that 
by being open and curious and willing to know the bigger picture. That's why I'm so um, I, I'm such an advocate of people not fitting in, so they're more open to mm-hmm. to change and dealing with fears and anxieties, um, because raising our level of consciousness. If we look around the world right now, the level of consciousness that people, some people succumb to is very dense and very deep and very divisive and very hateful. And, and we all are here in the same kettle of soup. So part of us have to help each other the best we can, you know, to, to raise up out of that pain and hatred stuff that's going on. Um, We all do it, you know, like the friar did pancakes for God, you know, and the other monks like that very, he pleased them. And, and, And you do what you do, opening up the world to new ways of looking at things. And I do what I do to help women more particularly, anybody really. I have worked with wonderful men too. Young and young men in particular are more open today to new ways of looking at the equality in in between the sexes. But um, I think we're here to evolve. I mean, and what I believe also is, if we don't get it, it's not like we're condemned or anything, it, it means we get another chance. It's kind of like it's repetitive, the slow struggle and pain. If we don't face it the first time around, you know, like I um, did in my in my marriage, meaning if I'd been facing anything, I would we would not have married probably. I probably I'd marry again for those two children for sure. But but the second time around, when I nearly remarried, you know, that was like a chance to heal some of the stuff I did wrong the first time. And I nearly succumbed to the path of least resistance, which would have been, in that case, financial security and at least con- some contentment of some sort, you know. I don't- you spoke of fitting in. This is something that you speak in your book, too. So I guess I'm wondering if unconditional self-love can become an antidote to trying to fit in. Even unconditional self-love is something to aspire to. Um, very few of us, we may have moments We may have days, but quite often because of our conditioning, we have an inner critic that keeps us from that unconditional self-love. Now, self-love of any level will help us do the hard work of valuing who we are when we don't fit in. Because when we don't fit in, our relatives get very anxious It's much easier for parents and relatives for us to fit in and watch the same shows and and vote for the same person and and not shake, not turn anything upside down. In this family, we all, 
in this family, there's no time for doodling until after all the work is done. In this family, um, you know, there's, you know, you're you're not going to be a starving artist here. You have to be, you, you know, it, all the women are expected to be nurses or do this. There's so much pressure and people think they have moved past it. And I've had a woman who's running a company and has 34 employees and they love her. And she says, I feel so free and powerful at work. And then when I go see my parents, help me, help me. She said, I become 12 again. I am not free of their expectations. They, they can't imagine that I went to work and running a company. You know, they had their, their, um, template that I was supposed to fit and it wasn't this and she said I succumb so part of it is it's almost like to the degree we stop fitting in is the degree we can really increase our self-love it's kind of like that gives us the courage to turn around and say hey girl good for you you broke some boundaries here, you broke some uh, expectations here, but no one, you've, you know, you've got to stop betraying yourself. Absolutely stop betraying yourself. And, and sometimes people fit in one part of the expectation and then they close off like, like I have a wonderful a uh, woman I saw who's very successful in the business world, but growing up, um, she didn't fit into the cheerleader model. So her family treated her as if she were homely. And she believed that. She believed it. And so she she has been striving for, uh, and she has risen to ex success outside in her career and outside but she still has this inner feeling of being homely and almost ugly sometimes so so she left the family in some respects but not where it hurt very much very deeply you know when you're particularly when you're in seventh grade you know not fitting in is you need some comfort from the family or somebody that says, but you're beautiful and, and we love you and, and this will change. And there was, no, you know, none of that. It was like, well, at least you're smart, you know, that kind of, uh, of, of, um, I have, um, I, I feel like women, if they would stop and look and really look at who they are and the courage they have and the rich tapestry of emotions that they have, which the men need terribly because, you know, they they have they look to women for so many things and women are a hub of families. And the family, the children revolve around them and the dinner revolves around them in the in the and and women even in those situations sometimes because they're not bringing home a paycheck or even if they are, if it's less than the husband's don't have um, 
a little space of their own or their or or to go to you know or they say well you can call you know i can book you with you anytime i'm not working you know i mean that that if they were aware of what they do that family would fall apart without her i mean eh, i mean they would. I mean, it wouldn't be the same. Uh, I don't know. I read um, um, something from Christine Northrop uh, when she wrote uh, a Menopausal Women. I, I forget the title of the book, but I read it years ago. And she said, I come home. <laughs> and, and she was, you know, medical doctor, hard, long day. And she said, everyone is there waiting with their mouth, <laughs> with their mouths open. She said, and I'm thinking, she said, I used to be a, a pleaser and I'm uh, with, with menopause. I'm surely growing out of that place. And I'm, I'm looking at them and saying, what's wrong with you? Don't you have, I mean, why didn't you, couldn't you start supper? Why are you waiting on me to get everything going? And she Address and that is true for a lot of families. You know, the woman is the hub of the family, but doesn't realize how and value the power she has not to lord it over them, but to be as much as to say, This woman that I was talking to who said, Oh, I have the run of the house, and my husband has about three places he uses with his workout and his his big TV screen when he has guys over for the game and stuff. I said, okay, tell him, tell him you're going to create a little spot in the house. That's going to be just for you. I said, and he, she said, okay, I'm going to do it. She said, I never thought of it before. She said, to tell you the truth. So she under, you know, dismissed her own value. She spoke to him and he said exactly what she said to me. He said, "What do you want a what do you want a place?" He said, "When I leave, he said in the morning, you got the run of the house." So, you know, so she is now, I mean, taking steps for her something special for herself in that big house. But she had echoed him before he said that. You know, such a uh, important message for all of us, and I would, in a way, include men as well, but especially women, um, as you've been saying, about knowing that value in ourselves and not being afraid of claiming that, of honoring that. But instead, I noticed that I did myself in the past, I would become resentful. I was aware of my value and being devalued. And then I would become angry and upset. Oh, excuse me. But when you do that, when you hold back, when you hold back your expression, and I don't mean, you know, attacking, I mean, speaking up for what is truly valuable to you. When you hold it back, when you stuff it down, that feeds depression, anxiety among any and other like physical diseases, if you don't attend to it sometime, I mean, people push down grief and push down anger and push down uh, feelings of being stung and not valued. And it, it, 
it doesn't go away. That's what's so scary is women's health are at stake. And I mean, we could do a whole session on men too. And I do value what they go. It's a different thing. Ours have been more um, slyly um, before the age of reason, we're in a different energy field. We're in Right now, you and I are in beta. We're into thinking. We're into expressing. Before the age of reason, which is about seven, children are in, they start with baby, delta, alpha, theta. It's called merging energy. And in order to survive, we take in whatever's around us. We take it in as, as if it is the truth. We can't express, and even if we did, who would listen or if we could, but we take it in to survive. And um, and so then we, we believe it's ours and it's not even ours. It's ancestral. It's our parents. It's our parents' parents' beliefs. So uh, years ago, there was a, a book written by a psychiatrist, an Episcopal minister, Scott Peck. He's deceased. And his this book was The Road Less Traveled. And most of us read that book at the time. It was so important. He said that it's our responsibility to to realize we have been passed down a second-hand God, a second-hand set of beliefs that worked for your parents, and maybe not so much. Maybe it was passed down to them and to them and to them. But it's our responsibility to unpack these beliefs. And what I say to women, I encourage them. Not every family has the same kinds of trauma or doesn't even have to be trauma. Even in good families, things happen that people get dismissed and uh, boys and girls get treated differently. But I say stop. The first thing you have to do is be willing to stop, be willing to sit alone, be willing to review your life story and, and your family of origin beliefs. What were strong there? What are still influencing you? What is it works for you or what actually becomes obstacles in the way of a fuller, freer life? I believe every generation has an opportunity and probably should rebel. Now, I don't mean in huge, major, angry rebellion, but be free enough to look at what works here there may be some good things in the foundation that I need to keep. But if I'm going to fulfill my life path and have a fuller life, I have to be willing to muster up the courage to step out on the ledge and say, this doesn't work for me or, or take action in a way that helps you create a life. And of course, families will try to guilt you for that they'll I mean if they haven't done their own work they'll make it harder for you to get free but um, if you don't do that it's a lot harder to find 
um, I help people find the obstacles usually that are in your unconscious before the age of six or seven that you, you take on and take in as if it was the truth, like your family story about money, your family story about God. I mean, in my family, before I even went to the orphanage, before my parents died, uh, there was a belief that said, if you're and we were in poverty, we were poverty stricken, but that meant you were closer to God. So you can imagine what that meant in terms of unpacking that really, really strong belief of associating poverty with God and having the freedom to make a living and to be, be learn how to, you know, make a decent living and make some changes in the world. What are some of the methods, Laura, that you advise or you suggest? I know you have a website too. You can mention that as well. All right. Um, well, I'm a um, clinical hypnotherapist. So in, in person and um, telehealth, I often use um, hypnosis if a person is so uh, ready, willing, and ready to make changes. But something you can do on your own, not everyone needs to see a therapist, and I fully understand that. I did, but I had a lot of <clears throat> a lot of issues to handle. And so one thing is using journaling in a different way. And the way I recommend it is almost like self-hypnosis. Mm -hmm. First, you have to in order to change and to get to know some of the things that are instilled in you, first you have to look at the blocks, <clears throat> excuse me, blocks in your life that you're noticing. You know, are you too nice? Do you try to fit in? Do you try to please everyone? Do you have a short fuse that that blows under certain circumstances? Do you... Um, do you believe you, you have to wait to be chosen? Do you believe um, you shouldn't ask for so much? All the kinds of things women tell themselves, which are lies, you know. Um, so I ask you first to sit with your story and look at the, the blockages that are getting in your way. And you may not even know why, they, why they're there. You may not even know how to name them. But you know if you're too nice and you know if you give in and you know if you have resentment because you give away too much of your power too much of the time. So you have to sit and get really, really relaxed. And the reason I this is important and it's very hard in our culture, which says, go, 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 be yeah. busy, busy, busy. It's almost like the opposite of what you normally have been conditioned to do yeah. is to get really, really quiet and allow the information, the truth of your story to come in and write it down and then get relaxed. And in a relaxed state, that helps bring you back to the earlier states you were in, when this information from your family of origin that's causing you problems now, mer you merged with it. So then in a relaxed state, you start going into that energy field and you call up a younger version of yourself. 
usually this self is before seven. Sometimes some of the problems definitely become more concrete after seven. You know, they don't just go away because you're you now you can think because there may not be anyone there to talk to about it. But uh, the the merging part is merging with a younger version of yourself and literally allowing her to come close to vision her, to envision her and ask her to work with you if she'll cooperate with you. And quite often there, none of us are how we look on the outside, Valeria. Inside of us are all kinds of little people who are wounded at different ages. And it doesn't mean we have to attend to every single wounding. Sometimes, like woundings, umbrella together. And when you get the core of it, many, many um, experiences of that are healed at the same time. So I do ask people to get really relaxed. That's the big piece in our society because I have women who want to do the work but don't have that inner permission to let go and be with themselves and block off maybe, you know, an hour where they're going to attend to their inner life. I agree a thousand percent with um, relaxing, taking time and boy writing and healing. They are very much connected (laughs) from my experience. Yeah, they really, it's really much more powerful than than you give credit for. We call, I call my, um, I call journaling this way is our therapist between sessions. I mean, it's that powerful and the it's so powerful. You really don't need to write more than three pages or you may get yourself sort of, um, off balance because usually you set up the situation, you talk to your little one, you ask her to cooperate, and then you look at, will you, you know, will you work with me? I want to believe I'm worthy of affluence and financial security in this life. I also want to believe that God loves me even when I manifest, um, you know, abundance. It's kind of like looking at some of the family beliefs. I want to have permission to doodle, to be the artist that's in me crying for expression. I want you to help me because the little ones inside, when this happened, they were into survival energy. They believed that they were bad if they doodled. I have a woman who said, not only that, I snook, I sneaked around and doodled. That made me feel worse because then I had two, two sins on, 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 my, um, on my soul, so to speak. And she said, now as a woman of 35, I'm totally miserable. I'm an accountant. I'm a very successful accountant, but I'm so unhappy. I can't even relate to people. I, I, 
And so fortunately, I'm so depressed, she said. And fortunately, gradually, she stayed in treatment with a willingness and with, and with a, because she felt so bad, she just said, what have I got to lose? So it took a little while to start examining in her inner self to give her permission. And with the early child, it was permission to doodle and permission to express and permission to paint and permission, you know, depending on what age she was working with at the time. And, and I mean, now she's, you know, um, her art has been, you know, um, sold in Santa Fe, you know, I mean, I mean, it, it doesn't even mean that it has to go that way. It means for her, she was uh, a suppressed artist, but for some people, it's just suppressed creativity. It it might be knitting a lovely scarf. It doesn't matter what you've suppressed that we didn't do in our family until all the work was done. And, you know, work never, the work never gets all done. There's never time. Yeah. We're almost at the end, Laura. Before that, where can we find more information about your work? Well, one thing would be laurabyoung.com, my website. The other is if you have trouble relaxing, and I'm giving, this is a free relaxation audio. It's laurabyoung.com slash relax slash laurabyoung.com slash relax slash and it's just a nine minute audio and it's free and it will help you go through and understand how much difficulty you're having with letting go you know you may need additional uh, audios after or additional exercises but at least this will give you an idea of how ready you are to let go of some of the conditioning and some of the things we run around thinking is very important because uh, we have that time scarcity thing going on inside of us. But some way to let go so you can start relating to that younger self that needs some new permissions, new permissions to value all that you are, new permissions to take all that you are out into the world. Every one of us has a gift. I don't care. You can be, you know, the you can be the one who brings casseroles to someone's door when they're sick. I can't be depended on to do that. That's, you know, I'd 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 be a lousy one to depend on for that. But if someone is dying or in grief, I'm fine with that. So we all have different ways of being here in the world and being. Um, appreciating what it what it is we have to offer. That makes me think about the prison that we create for our own selves. Yeah, we too, and you know it. And you, yeah. I I know that that uh, you run across that with a lot of people that you talk to. How how uh, how we all have to be aware of it, not just with ourselves, but help others to get out of the prison as well. So I have a few more questions, and I call them final questions. Would you like to add anything, Laura? All I know is 
We need women to step up and be counted as never before. I mean, it was always important. But, and they, they have no idea, many of them, their beauty and their strength. And, and it's up to us to find out, each and every one, how to do that. The first step, I mean, you have to be willing to take the first step. And it's going to be uncomfortable. You're not growing if you're comfortable. Unco- discomfort is part of knowing that you're growing. And, and having the courage to, you know, with jelly in the knees doesn't mean you don't have courage. Just step out there anyway and do do that first step because there's an old Irish uh, um, tale that a man is just tilling the ground and another man comes along walking and he says, what are, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to build a house. And he says, well, you're half done then. And he says, why you, why you say that? I just, you know, t- I'm just tilling the the top level of soil, he said, that first step is the hardest one. Once you get that done, you're half there. So I kind of feel the same way. Sometimes I hold back because I know once I take the first step, everything is going to kind of like, uh, you know, Tower of Cards. This will change. Everything will change. And we're afraid of change. But then after the fact, we like ourselves better each time, each time. I have one one little, may I, may I just read? I have this little poem about, um, oh, Lord. It, it's like, it was written anonymously. I don't know who wrote it. It says, I worked for a menial hire only to learn dismayed that any wage I had asked of life, life would have willingly paid. So what are you asking for life? Don't underestimate your power to have more, to be more, to be happy, to be joyful, and to have a a great influence for the greater good. That's so basic to human beings, to be happy, to be joyful. Of course, to survive but survive in the sense of evolving, as I understand, which it is being joyful. Yes, and, and you're lovely with your energy. It's, so, it's such a pleasure. It's such a pleasure what you're sharing with all of us. Thank you, Laurie. What is another word for freedom? Well, Jan- Janice Joplin said it's nothing else to lose. <laughs> <laughs> that could be it too, right? Yeah, yeah. A freedom. Freedom is, well, joy. I had a woman who wanted to belly dance. And when we got to the essence of, and she was in her 40s, so she didn't expect to be doing much. I mean, she could, but she had that idea. She couldn't. So we 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 unpacked it, and we found out really she wanted to be freely express her body, and it was so beautiful because she took that inner core need for freedom, 
and she started dancing the tango. And and it was like that was physical freedom, and 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 that it impacted her emotionally and spiritually because she said when she danced the tango, it was unity. It was two bodies moving in unity. And so I guess we all have uh, just you know, for me it's. Uh, moment of joy represents freedom and I'm so grateful. I mean, I could be out walking and see a bluebird and that moment of joy is that thank, you know, gratitude that I have freedom and, and protection in my environment that I'm free to go out and walk and express my, my gratitude for the beautiful bluebird, you know, yeah. so it's different things to different people for sure. Two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, <laughs> would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way, Laura? Yeah. But I mean, I, I don't think I have, you know, I have, you know, I don't have a lot of time. So I would stop procrastinating. I would. I mean, I do still have to tackle that sometimes when I get up mm -hmm. and, and go to a blank page and don't know what to put on it and <laughs> yeah. I go to the refrigerator and then I go make a phone call, you know, that stuff. I wouldn't do that so much. I, I don't do it as much as I used to, but I wouldn't do that anymore. And I would be um, I have a lot of fear speaking in public and getting my message out to women. I would probably not give a flip and just do it every chance I got, you know, and, and wear a purple hat and not care, you know. And I think there's one more thing in the process of doing the writing and being a psychotherapist and busy. Um, I have kind of neglected my friends. I mean, they're lovely. They're there. Um, they're all retired. They want to know when I'm going to retire, and I say never, you know. I can't imagine retiring. And so I don't have – I haven't given them the time. And and sometimes my family, because my work gets a hold of me sometimes. Yeah, I change a few things. I'd meditate more often. I mean, I do it fairly regular, but I would probably make more time, like maybe twice a day, you know. What are three things about life you know for sure as of now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I used to know a lot more for sure than I do now. <laughs> oh, my. When I had answers for lots of things that I don't no longer have answers for. I know for sure that it's never too late to change. Even, you know... Even if you think it is, it's not. No matter how many strategies you've tried, no matter what you've done in life is still a struggle. You you really, if you're willing, you can want to and not be willing to do the work, you know, so that's different. But if you're willing, you can shift it. And even if you're older, you can have a very happy old age. I mean, I'm a lot happier as an older woman than I was as a younger woman. And I know it can be done. And um, I also know that our world depends on women 
stepping up and being counted and being in community and valuing whatever they have to offer. I know that. I know that that um, is critical to this world's salvation, you know. And um, other than that, I, um, I know that I am very grateful that I have passion in my life at this stage of my life. Thank you so much, Laura, again, for sharing your wisdom, your mission, your beautiful presence. Thank you. Thank you ever so for allowing me to do this with you. And I just love your work. And uh, I'll be checking in more and more to hear some of your other guests for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So again, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Well, um, I'm about to do, well, I'm getting ready to do an online course for women. And that has been the thing I have been, you know, going to the refrigerator <laughs> to avoid doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, no. I have all the information. I just have to get it in form and template and also be at the mercy of a lot of other people once you know you, you do the writing uh laurabyoung.com is uh, a good connection uh laurabyoung.com slash relax slash for the for the free audio and then um my facebook page is uh passionate living um, Lord, I blanked out on my own page. Um, my book is on Amazon in um, soft cover and uh, and um, Kindle. So, Laura at liferesourcecenter.net. If you have an interest in a coaching or a psychotherapy session, or just want to talk about Maybe you're a kindred spirit that's working with women's issues and want to talk about some things. My best email is laura at liferesourcecenter.net and my phone number, 24-hour message center is 1334-277-7955. If you remember that Facebook page, please send it to me and I'll add to the link of your podcast profile too. I'll have all those links in there. I'll do it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you Be so good. much again, Laura. And we'll talk soon. Yes, thank you. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Laura B. Young and her work, please visit laurabyoung.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.